Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Balthazor. And today, boy, oh boy, th- this is the episode, this is the type of episode that happens whenever you don't record a recap for, what has it been, three weeks now? It's been three weeks since the last recap. Yeah. <laughs> so, the not-so-weekly recap, and... We have quite the slate today, and luckily for Connor, it does not include track and field. It Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> includes a new offensive coordinator, transfer news, and of course, men and women's basketball. But don't let that overly simply simplified outline get it to you. We're in for a long one, folks, so buckle up. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is the introduction of the new offensive coordinator, at Kansas State University, a familiar face to fans old and new, and that is Colin Klein, the former quarterbacks coach, or he'll probably still be the quarterbacks coach, but we'll talk about that. He and K-State legend is now the new offensive coordinator after the showing at the Texas Bowl. And if you want to hear our thoughts about his performance at the Texas Bowl, go listen to that episode, because that was actually a really fun episode to record, because it's the first time that we... You know, did it immediately after. Yeah, we're still riding the high of the victory, and uh, so that that makes it much more fun to do. Although I'd imagine it'd make the losses even more painful. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it might be a formula that we only reserve for wins, but Colin Klein, to in short, had a very good performance at the Texas Bowl. And I don't know what what are your thoughts on CK 7s hiring? Um, I think. It was inevitable uh, at this point. I think that I think it was likely already after he was named the interim coordinator and Coach Kleinman seemed pretty keen on making sure that like it wasn't him handing the job, but he also was like, you know, it's an audition. We're going to watch the process and like see how he does. And that to me basically said that since they were so keen on like wanting to see how he operated, that probably should have keyed us in that he was going to be the guy from the beginning. And I'm sure they probably still looked around. I mean, names thrown around like Matt Wells and Tim Polisek, but I don't think any of them with the uh, offense that would have been given to them in the bowl game would have had the same performance that Klein did. No. And Klein was absolutely excellent in the bowl game. I think that he's the obvious pick. I mean, I went and watched the post-game presser from Skyler and Deuce, and they, they seemed really energized. Uh, and excited about the direction that Klein took for the bowl game. And I, to me, it seemed like they were almost refreshed. It seemed like there had been frustration about some of the conservative play calling at times in the past. And so Klein's clearly made it to where he wants to be aggressive, but smart. And I, I, I feel like that's how most people should operate as an offense coordinator anyways, but you know, like take, valuable risk but Messingham was never really like that at least not normally no not yeah. not ever I've never saw him take risks yeah. that he wasn't directly ordered to take yeah but Klein other than I think being a great candidate and I'm very excited about it the one other thing that this does do is it will make the uh higher echelon of the coaching staff very difficult to remember and you have to pronounce very clearly because you have Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein now so you can't 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's either CK7 or like HCCK or whatever. I think it's like, CK2 is one of the C- names. CK2. I don't I don't know. Point is, that might get a little bit climbing and climb pretty close, but yeah. you know what? He's a good coach. I don't really care. That's a little difficult to remember. Yeah. See, I I'm really interested in it and I'm actually very excited. Not only because of this this newfound aggression, but also it is the only way that a scheme change could have possibly happened. And what I mean by that is Pistol was not necessarily Messingham's thing, unless it was Diamond Pistol. But during the the bowl game, we were in Pistol a not insignificant amount of time. And Pistol works really well in college offenses. And it was really exciting to see that we have an offensive coordinator who realizes what that is. And also, I just, the aggression that Kleiman and Klein have both shown that they're willing to have, I, he, I for one, am here for Riverboat, Klein, and Kleiman. I am absolutely here for it. I am as well. Um, I am very excited to see it. We saw shades of Riverboat, Kleiman against OU when that was kind of the game this season where we really started risk-taking. Mm-hmm. It was the only one that we really saw Messingham actively take risk on offense a lot. And I was going for it on basically any time it was fourth and five-ish or shorter. And uh, the onside kick as well in that game. Like, some really gutsy calls in that game. And offensively, I think we're going to get gutsier now with Colin Klein. Uh, I think that he's more in tune with what players want to run as an offense. And while I get wanting to have a system that you want to do, it's almost as important to have a system that players want to play in because you have to recruit guys. And if you have a system that you really want to run, but it's not a very attractive system and it's not very flashy and it might win games sometimes, but you're not going to get people much notoriety, then it's going to be tough to convince people to be a part of that. So, yeah. And that's, I, that I think is actually an underrated part of this is that, this offense is almost guaranteed to at least look better to recruits. And that is something that cannot be understated in the landscape of college football. And the last thing that I want to talk about with CK7 is what position do we think that he's going to end up coaching? Because this, if he remains quarterback's coach, I do still think that even though he is the main play caller, I still think that him as a quarterback's coach somewhat limits what the offense can do in the traditional dropback passing game. I think the most likely option is probably quarterback's coach, followed by tight ends, fullbacks, and then receivers roughly around there. I do think that regardless of what position he gets, the other two positions will most likely be filled by guys that are excellent recruiters. I think one of them is probably going to be uh, LePac. Yeah, the, I think he stays tight ends fullbacks. Yeah, I think he's sticking around as tight ends fullbacks, maybe wide receivers. Wide receivers, I think we're going to pursue a guy that's a really good recruiter, a younger coach, uh, just somebody that, because I mean, this staff needs an ace recruiter, but badly. And somebody just that's on the coaching staff on the field. Like we have Brat. I think we have a very good recruiting staff. But we really need a positional coach that can go out and be our ace, other than Brian Anderson. Yeah, I was about cannot... to say Brian Anderson. <laughs> no, other than Brian Anderson, 
because Brian cannot be everywhere in the country all at once. And I think Klein, remaining quarterbacks coach, I, I think that there's an interesting situation it brings up where how much does the quality of quarterback play change with the potential improved play calling ability and the offense? Like, do we see, like, for example, like how well does Will Howard perform the bowl game if he were to have started with Klein calling the plays? I think that not as well as Skyler, but I think probably better than what we've seen from him because I think it seems like Klein is a lot more malleable in what he's willing to do. And, and also he knows what trusts Will. Yes. I, I, I think that's probably hitting, hitting the nail on the head. Um, So... I think he might say his quarterback's coach. I think maybe. I'm totally speculating. Like, might be completely wrong. I think that maybe part of the limitations of quarterback play has been because of play calling. I think there's been an overemphasis on making the safe play and uh, not turning the ball over. And I think that it's made the quarterbacks antsy about taking risks. I mean, I think that would really help explain Skyler's demeanor in the Baylor game where he was double clutching a lot and just did not look comfortable until it was far too late. And, and then the like five seconds he looked comfortable, he got hurt. Yeah, exactly. And then Will, um, had a few opportunities and the few, the very few times that he's thrown the ball deep successfully were checks by him. And the times that he did not do it successfully were calls by mess. And, at least as far as we can tell. The Texas game I'm thinking of for the unsuccessful. The the Oklahoma State, the two balls that were dropped, those were, I think, Mess's play calls, but still. That's still. Yeah, and I'm thinking of the Nevada game. Yeah, I'm thinking we're... of the Nevada game, the the one where I, I famously keep saying, not so famously, I can't, we can't claim anything famously on this show yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I famously, dang it, I keep saying that the best play call made in a Will Howard quarterback game was made by Will Howard because it's true. <laughs> but maybe that changes in a year whenever Will Howard is starting with Colin Klein as the coordinator. Yeah, I think that's been the interesting thing about Will. This is getting a little bit off track, but I I think that there is, I think the mental side's there. I'm starting to come around on the mental side of the game for Will. I think that the physical side is there as well. I just don't think that they're connecting. Like, I, I don't think it's necessary that he doesn't have the mental side. I think that it's just once the play starts, he can't do both. And, like, that's something that Klein, as quarterbacks coach and OC, might be helpful with. I'm totally speculating. I might be drawing conclusions that don't make any sense. I'm not on a coaching staff. But to me, it makes sense to have the guy that's calling the plays close to the signal callers as much as possible. Yeah. So that may improve Klein as a QB's coach. Uh, they, the staff clearly has a ton of faith in him as well as the players. So I'd be willing to give him a second chance as QB coach without a mess called offense because it's starting to become clear that mess really held the offense back from its full potential. Yeah. And maybe Klein is the best quarterback's coach, but it remains to be seen if he's better than we've previously thought. Yeah. Maybe that's just maybe that's just me being excited about the hires OC, but I don't know, we'll wait and see. I'm more excited about who we hire as the wide receivers and tight ends fullbacks coach, because yeah. I really hope that we get an ace recruiter. 
Absolutely. And one final thing that I'll say about Will is that I keep mentioning his punch step and his footwork. The punch step is more or less solved by going to pistol because he doesn't have to drop back as fast or, you know, at, take as many steps. So that'll actually help him with that clunky drop back. He still needs to point his foot in the right direction. But yeah, I, I am curious to see who we hire at tight ends, fullbacks. I think that's probably LePac. I'm more interested in receivers. Yeah. I'm definitely with you on LePac being the tight ends fullbacks. I really am interested in receivers. I know that it keeps getting brought up, but the annual coaches convention is in like a couple days, I oh, think. It's Sunday? Yeah, it's it's really close. So I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of networking at that event, a lot of poking and prodding. And I'd imagine there's probably going to be some talent scouting before then by the coaching staff. Then it might come into that event with some sort of idea of who they want to hire and try and locate them and get an interview in or just a preliminary conversation. So hopefully not too long before we see a, another positional coach hired or the remaining two positional coach spots filled. Yeah. Hopefully it's a hire to get excited about. We're stealing Bama's a uh, wide receiver coach. That's what's happening. That would be all right. I'd be fine I would that. allow it. I would be fine I'd, with that. I would simply allow it actually. So <laughs> yeah. That's our pretty long-winded thoughts about the new OC. Now we can talk about the transfers. We'll talk about the transfers out first. And the new transfers out. Uh, firstly, we'd like to mention Jalen Travis has found a home at Butler Community College, where one of our high school classmates is currently playing his college ball. And I don't know, fun fact, if you cared. <laughs> but the two new transfers came, I believe, within a day of each other. That is Clyde Price, the running back, and Tyrone Tolini, the defensive tackle. And I don't want to be mean. I really don't want to be mean, but I will say that there are certainly worse people to lose. Yeah. Uh, Clyde, I liked having Clyde on the team, mainly because if you ever looked on the sideline, he was obviously the hype guy. He was trying to keep the spirits up on the sideline. During kickoffs, he was the one getting everyone excited. He was clearly a great morale guy for the team. But at the end of the day, if you're a football player, you want to play football. So Clyde, I'd imagine he'll probably transfer down to FCS, maybe D2, try to get some more snaps. Tulane, he was going to get log jammed, I think, unfortunately, because he was playing a lot of defensive end as, as well as some three-tech defensive tackle. And he's going to get stuck behind Jalen Pickle and Felix Nudike Uzama and Khalid Duke and Nate, Nate Matlick, Matlick, Spencer Trussell. It's less a Tyrone Tolini problem and more a we have a lot of pass rushers problem, which isn't much of a problem for us other than, you know, Tyrone Tolini is kind of the odd man out there. Yeah. So I'd he'll surface somewhere. I hope he finds a good landing spot because if nothing else, he's incredibly strong. And I, I think that he'll find a good home. So best of luck to Clyde and Tyrone, but they will be missed. But because... We always want to try and take one for one. We also have two transfers coming in. And the first one, we this is definitely one of the, the biggest examples of us taking a while to record an episode. And that is Josh Hayes, the defensive back from University of Virginia and North Dakota State University before that. And after a very long delay between an episode and him committing, we're finally talking about the defensive back from 
I'm just going to say North Dakota State because that's where he played most. Yeah, uh, he, for reference, he grad transferred to uh, uh, to Virginia. However, well, actually, no, I think it was his one free, but then grad transfer is a whole different one. That's why he's able to come here and be immediately eligible. Yeah. But Josh Hayes, he only appeared in, I think, like one game for Virginia, recorded one tackle. He played hurt, or he was hurt for a majority of the season. So, unfortunately, was not able to play very much. But at North Dakota State, he did play a lot. He played in 52 career games and won three national championships. He made 22 straight starts at one point at cornerback, and he made six in the spring of 2021. So he's been playing recently. He was second team all Missouri Valley in 2019 after having 59 tackles, broke up 10 passes, and had two picks as North Dakota State allowed the fewest passing yards of all of FCS. So he was part of a great secondary. His career numbers, 132 career tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, 21 passes defended, and two picks. So he has a ton of experience at the FCS level, 5'11", about 190-ish. Um, I believe he was a high two-star recruit out of high school. This would have been a guy that Chris Kleiman recruited as well, so they are familiar yeah, and I'm pretty excited about Josh Hayes, uh, mainly because of the Kleiman connection. Kleiman was a defensive back himself in college, so I definitely trust him to make defensive a sound back defense. picks. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely trust him to develop and identify solid defensive back talent. Josh Hayes, I think, is going to play immediately. I'd imagine he wouldn't even be coming here if that wasn't what was going to happen. But he grad transfers in. I believe this will be his only season of eligibility. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do because I'd imagine we're going to see a lot of him immediately. Yeah. He will probably fill in some of the Reggie Stubblefield role. Uh, his highlights, he's a really hard hitter, really good in run support, surprisingly, for someone that's defended as many passes as he has. But I like his coverage ability. And also, he... He packs a surprising punch. So I wouldn't say he has as much swagger as Reggie Stubblefield because nobody does. I don't think does. that's possible. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But I I do think that he he does play with a chip on his shoulder. I, I like what I saw from him from the little bit of film I was able to find. Literally like two minutes and it was all of North Dakota State. And I don't know. He's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. Because, yeah. I mean, if anything, this staff is good at finding grad transfer FCS <laughs> Talents. So. Hey, that's that's what we got. Something I'm interested about him is where he kind of fits in. Because you mentioned him being a hard hitter, and whenever I hear hard hitter, because in the three three five defensive scheme that we run, the role that Reggie Stubblefield play, depending on where you go, it's called the star, the cash, or the jack defender, which basically just means you are kind of a slot corner, kind of a linebacker, just like this weird tweener. Think what Wayne Jones probably should have ended up being. And yeah. it if he is as hard a hitter, that may he may end up being the Reggie Stubblefield role or he might just end up being our nickel corner. Either or, it's a big spot of need that we're filling. I would tentatively pencil him in at the, I think we're calling it the Jack safety position. I'm not really sure, but that's where I would put him tentatively. Other than that, 
nickel. And he also seems like someone that could just kind of log a snap or two anywhere if need be. And I, I trust the coaches to find a good spot for him. So, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in this defense. Uh, I don't know. Just very interested in, in the possibilities. Yeah. By the way, the, the terminology I learned was cash. So whenever I'd say cash, that's what I'm talking about. But the, the next transfer was one that we briefly touched on in the preview episode. And now we're going to be talking about him a little bit more. And that is Brandon Jennings, the linebacker transfer from Maryland. And we're not going to spend as much time on him as we did Hayes because we've already kind of covered him. But I all I'll say is that having two true thumping middle linebackers that have athleticism is an underrated part of today's game in the RPO system where you have one of those middle linebackers drop into coverage and the other one can just smack whoever is in the running game. So that is a huge underrated part of having two really good linebackers. Yeah, I am ecstatic about this, uh, this, this coup is the best way to describe it for the coaching staff because this Brandon Jennings signing came out of absolutely nowhere. I, I remember when we got the portal cat signal, we were trying to speculate about who it could have been. Literally had no idea because there were no inklings. No nothing, leads. Nothing. Like we didn't know what was going on. Yeah, absolutely we nothing. We expected like a like. random two star. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting someone along the lines of like, like Josh Hayes, like somebody that kind of flew under the radar, but we have connections to and know is actually good. Like, but then we have Brandon Jennings come to Kansas State, and he's probably the highest profile transfer that we've had since Arthur Brown, maybe. And it's fitting because Arthur Brown was also a linebacker. Granted, he was a five star out of high school. Uh, Jennings was only a four star, unfortunately. Only <laughs> shame. Yep. But yeah, I mean, he. I mean, the ratings speak for themselves. He was the 108th ranked prospect nationally on 24-7, the number 12 rated linebacker. On Rivals, he was in the 80s. I don't remember exactly where. I don't have that information in front of me, but he was in the 80s, a 5.9 four-star. One of the highest rated recruits K-State has had in a long, long time. And he's only a true sophomore, I believe, his eligibility will be at. Yeah. So Jennings, massive get for this staff. Uh, his film is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's not that he's playing at a bad level of football in his high school film. It's just that he's that much bigger and better than everybody around him because he's six foot four, about 230. He's bigger than Daniel Green. Daniel Green's a big guy. And yeah, Daniel he, Green's uh, not small. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Green has size. And Brandon Jennings, he's even bigger than he is. He's going to – he. I mean, his highlights, when he hits people, they they don't just, like, get hit. They fly backwards. Yeah. Like, like there's – the you know the one I'm talking about, Ace? The yes, one where he hits <laughs> – Yeah. Yeah, where he smacks a quarterback who just had let go of a ball. And, you know, props to that quarterback for standing in the pocket and stepping into that throw. But what are you doing? <laughs> He shortened like, his lifespan by like four years. That one single hit gave that quarterback CTE. I truly feel bad because <laughs> like he's being a team player and like he's getting the throw out. But Brandon Jennings made him pay. 
I mean, when I say he flew multiple yards backwards, like he flew. He didn't like He's slide. Not exaggerating. He didn't fall. He flew through the air after getting hit by Brandon Jennings. Jennings is the definition of a thumper linebacker, but don't let you don't let that make you think that that doesn't mean that he's like like no football IQ. Like just running around aimlessly trying to hit people. He likes doing that, but he's doing that while being intelligent. He's really good at diagnosing run plays and screens. He's really good at being able to figure out a play a little bit before it happens and run to the spot. And he's also adequate in pass coverage as well. I mean, we don't ask our linebackers to be elite pass coverage guys, just solid. And he's going to fill that role. Brandon Jennings is a great fit for this K-State defense. He's absolutely huge. He's one of the missing pieces that I think we needed to help solidify this defense. And this is going to be a scary, scary side of the ball for the Kansas State Wildcats next year. Brandon Jennings, linebacker from Maryland, will just terrify opposing quarterbacks next season. Yeah. A salty defense mixed with an offense that can actually do things. Now, imagine. That's got got me thinking – it has me thinking dangerously. That's all I'll say about K-State's potential. Uh-oh, optimism. 15-0, and 0, why not? Uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, before we you you know, have to reel me in do that, it, oh, oh, I will. <laughs> I will. Before we go too deep and drink the Kool-Aid of optimism, let's get into the weekly recap, which only has two sports, men and women's basketball. Let's start with the men's basketball team. And the first game that we're recapping is the... K-State Nebraska game at Nebraska that ended up being a 67 to 58 W in favor of the Cats in what was at the time one of the most important games at least it seemed in the moment at least for fan retention and the outlook on the season but enough of enough of posturing let's just go straight into the statistics and Connor has you for those. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this Nebraska game because it has been a while since this game happened. Almost uh, almost a full month at this point. We're getting close to that point. I just but, go leading scorers. Yeah, Nigel Pack had 15, 5 of 13 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3. He had 8 rebounds as well, which is kind of strange. 5 assists, 2 turnovers, and 2 steals. Solid game for him. Bradford added 9, Ish had 10, Casey had 9. As well. Other than that, not a lot really notable for the Cats. Alonzo Verge had 21 for Nebraska. He's been like the only thing alive on their team for a majority of the season. Yeah. Um, one last note on Nebraska they have been a lot more competitive since K State played them. They took number 13, Ohio State, to overtime, only lost by eight. And then they lost on the road at number 10, Michigan State, 79 to 67. So this Nebraska team, they're not great but it's not as if they don't have a pulse. They are putting up a pretty solid fight against some highly rated teams. So just keep that in mind when thinking about this game. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Nebraska's not terrible. Like, yeah. they're not great, but... They're, they're, not, they're not just poo-poo water. They're not that bad. Right, yeah. And this was a must-win game for the Cats, and they, they accomplished that, so can't be too bad. Yeah. And then the next game for the men's basketball team, and I promise you we'll slow down when conference play starts because that's more recent. But the next game was against McNeese. McNeese State. No, just McNeese. And it was a 74-59 to W in favor of the Cats. And this is one that just, yeah, 
it happened. That's literally my summation of this game is like, yeah, it happened. Yeah, the main notable things was the Cats actually had two, or no, actually, never mind. They didn't have two double-doubles. They almost did. Mark Smith was actually short on the points side. Marquise Noel had 18 points and 10 assists in this game to just four turnovers. He had four rebounds, two steals. Nigel Pack had 18 points as well, and he had five rebounds, one assist, no turnovers. Mark Smith added 10 rebounds, only seven points. Salta Miguel had 17 points off the bench as well as four rebounds. So, pretty solid night for the Cats. Shot 47% from the field, won 74-59. Nice victory. Um, McNeese had Kristen Schmidt score 18 off the bench for them. There's always just one random dude that goes off against us. You went 8 for 11 from the field. You know, what are you going to do? You win by 15, can't complain too much. It's been a while since this game happened. So, don't want to linger on it. Yeah. And now we open up conference play because North, the North Florida game, which was a replacement game for who? Um, it was another Florida team. Was it Florida A&M? No, we already played Florida A&M this year. Oh. Uh, it was another Florida team. I forget. I think it might have been USF. I don't know. Who's um, to say? But anyway, that game got canceled because of COVID. And uh, now we can start talking about conference play. And our first conference game of the year was against the Oklahoma Sooners on New Year's Day in Norman. And this, unfortunately, was a loss for Kansas State University, despite the close score and despite what was a painfully slow start. Like, a disgustingly slow start. Yeah, it was yet another slow start for Kansas State. Wasn't it like 13-2 to two at one point? It was pretty bad for quite a while. Uh, they scored the first eight points of the game, and the worst it got, at least for a while, it was 17-5 to five at one point. I mean, it was looking it was looking like a blowout there for a bit. They led 27-12 at one point, but we closed the gap a little bit right before half, and Mike... Uh, Sultan Miguel made a little hook shot right before half to make it 33-22. But unfortunately, a furious late rally by the Cats would not be enough in this one. They lose by two. Mark Smith did absolutely everything he could to come back in this game. He got 25 points and 16 rebounds and five assists, no turnovers. And one student really wanted this game. (laughs) Mark Smith went off and we did not get anything in return for it. Uh, he went 7-13 from the field, 3-4 from 3, 8-9 from the free throw line. He he truly couldn't have done much more for K-State than he gave. Nigel Pack had 17, 5-15 from the field, 3-9 from 3, made all four of his free throws, two rebounds, two assists, three turnovers, three steals. It's important to note Marquise Noel was not available for this game with COVID. Ish Masood had 13 points, two rebounds, two steals, no assists, no turnovers. Uh, Salta Miguel had six points. Four rebounds, three assists, one turnover. Casey Eziegu barely played in this game because of foul trouble. He only played five minutes, actually, in this one because he just kept picking up fouls. He had he registered one shot attempt and one turnover. Like, he got to have better than that. Mike McGurl had seven points, three or four from the field, made a three-pointer, five rebounds, two turnovers, one steal, one block. Davion Bradford also fell victim to uh, just kind of becoming invisible he played a full 18 minutes but he only had one point one rebound two turnovers like that's that's not what you you have to have more from your bigs 
Kasubki yeah. and Landers both played, but they didn't really do anything. Um, so it was a tough, tough, tough loss. Elijah Harkless of OU was not shooting well at all before this game. He was shooting 20-something percent coming into this game from three. And, he, of course, he goes four for four from three on us. Yeah, drops 21 course. points. Of course. Yeah. yeah, of course. And we, unfortunately, are not able to come back and defeat the Sooners. We did at one point tie it 65-65. Then OU went down, made a little jumper, and then they hit some free throws. We just weren't able to close the gap soon enough. So tough loss for the Cats. Uh, this one really did hurt, even though we were trailing early and even though we were missing Marquise. Uh, it's a game that you yeah, you really want to have going forward. Even though OU is 11-3, and you know, they're, they're a good team, but you got to have that. They did they did drop their next game at Baylor by 10. Granted it's Baylor. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Everyone that we've said has been a buzzsaw has eventually within 2 weeks fallen. Granted we've only called women's team buzzsaws, but you know, Baylor has been that thus far. They've given Iowa State uh their only loss on the season thus far and they demolished Villanova and they beat OU pretty soundly. So this Baylor team is going to be tough for anybody to get by. I'm not sure if anyone's going to do it. Yeah, which, you know, I'm not sure if we've voiced our opinions about Baylor, but we have we don't have very positive opinions about them for Most several pe- reasons. <laughs> Most people don't. <laughs> Most people don't. But I honestly think that if Marquise is in this game, even if we... Like, if I had to make a trade to trade out Casey and Davion for Marquise in this game, I'd make that trade. I mean, based on the production we got, I mean, Marquise could literally not do any worse unless he turned it over 10 times and shot into our own goal. Like, that, <laughs> that would be the only way he could really be worse would just be giving them the ball. And I, I doubt Marquise would do that, so... Yeah. Yeah, and considering how poorly Casey and Davion played in this game, I mean, the small ball five-ish actually worked. I know that Ish came here because he didn't want to play the five, but sometimes that small ball lineup is just working better, and we're going to have to run it. So, Yeah, especially whenever you have a, a couple of personnel problems, which if I had to describe the Texas game in two words, it would be personnel problems. <laughs> That's an I think that's an apt description. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way to look at it. Because Texas was a loss for K State, seventy two fifty seven in favor of the Longhorns. But here here are two things that I want to point out before we go into any stats. We had seven scholarship players that were available. Didn't have Marquise, we didn't have any of our bigs. Other than Carlton. Other than Carlton. And Carlton, I don't think it played before this point, had he? He had registered seven minutes on the season up until that point. So, Okay, so, yeah. We basically, basically, yeah. Yeah, we, we had seven scholarship players, and I think eight players total. Yeah, we had one walk-on available, Drew Honus. So. Shout out Drew Honus. <laughs> he did not see the floor. But still, shout out Drew Honus. <laughs> shout out Drew Honus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Another big thing about this game, actually there's two more big things. Bruce Weber did not coach this game. He was out with COVID. So was the associate head coach. And so steps in Shane Southwell 
as the I, I, you can't call it an interim, but I suppose the the substitute head coach for this I team. Think, I think technically they're considered interim. Like, I I think that's the only way to really describe him. Uh, just interim head coach because he did step in, but like along with Jermaine Henderson. But yeah, Bruce Bruce Weber, Chris Lowry, they were both out for this game. Uh, they will be out for this upcoming game against West Virginia. And so is and, Southwell. <laughs> and Southwell is also out for that game. So it is Jermaine Henderson and I believe one graduate assistant are available. We did get Marquise Noel back, but <laughs> yeah. it, came with, it came with a cost, and that was Shane Southwell. Yeah, but maybe because Southwell was the coach, this was a game that if you just paid attention to the first half, we were looking really good despite our limitations. <laughs> Yeah, the Cats, they, contrary to literally every single game that they have played this entire season, at least it feels like, they got out to a hot start. And they were up 35-29 at the half on 14th-ranked Texas. So you might be asking, how did we lose by 13? That would be because Texas scored 41 points in the second half, and we only scored 22. Because... Eventually, when you only have seven players, fatigue will probably catch up to you, especially if you're not an already highly talented team, which we are not. Nigel Pack had 21 points. He was perfect from the the floor in the first half, but he really ran out of gas in the second half, I think, offensively. Selton had 13 points and eight rebounds. Ish had nine. Mark Smith had six and seven rebounds. He fouled out pretty late in this game. Carlton Lingard had four points. Uh, all of them came pretty early, as I recall. And he got into foul trouble as well. Mike McGrill had two points. Lucas Zubke also had two points. And, I mean, we played with the Skeleton Crew this game. Yeah, and it no was... one had fewer than 14 minutes, and all but one had 20-plus. One had 38. <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough sledding for this K-State basketball team. Um, very little... Uh, to take from this, I think, other than they are very resilient. I I think that's the best way to look at it, is that they definitely could have rolled over and just not played this game, but instead they gave Texas a real run for their money in the first half, and Shane Southwell, I I like some of what he did. He switched up defenses early and often to try and confuse Texas, which it did actually for quite some time. And the offense, he also had us run a few sets that I had not seen before. I think he kind of drawn those up himself. And they actually worked early and often. I really liked a certain set that we had at the beginning of the game to get Ishmael open for a three, which he did make. And so Southwell was moderately impressive. I, I'm not going to base too much of my opinion on Southwell and his potential on this game just because it's such a small and obscure and weird sample and but what, what we did see was that he got the guys motivated to play and he was active the whole game and he clearly had some X's and O's ability beyond just motivating so Southwell is a guy to keep your eye on here in the future you know he's up and coming in the coaching world so who's to say yeah which uh uh, no, no, that's a topic for another time. I feel like you know what I was going to say, but that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. 
And then the next time that the men's basketball team plays is actually the day this episode comes out at 1 p.m. They play West Virginia in Morgantown. And as we mentioned before, Southwell and Bruce Weber are both out. But we do get Marquise Noel back. I'm not sure if we get any of our... We don't get our bigs back, do we? Other than Carlton, and he was never out. I, I think it's just Marquise comes back. Davion Casey should still be out. Sick. So, yeah. it it may be another toughie. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a pretty tough one. Although, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this matchup. West Virginia is 11-2. They have losses. They did lose to Marquette at home by 11. So transitive property says that we should beat them there. They also lost at Texas by 15, which is more than we lost to Texas. So transitive property is smiling upon us with this West Virginia game. Granted, with all that being said, I question our ability to match up with them effectively. I'm not sure what their roster situation is. I have not seen anything about... West Virginia and their COVID issues. I do believe, off the top of my head, they might be missing Taz Sherman, who is their leading scorer with 20.9 points per game. And if that is the case, we absolutely stand a chance in this game. And if he is in this game, we'll hang around for a while, but I question our long-term viability as an opponent. (laughs) Yeah, that's the nice way of putting it. (laughs) Um... The bean way of putting it is we might get boat raced. Yeah, uh, that that is a way to put it. I cannot argue with that. But I don't know. I'll be watching regardless. I, I want to see what happens. Uh, Marquise is back. He hasn't played in a while. I really like Marquise. My but, favorite player on the team. Yeah. But yeah, the men's team's been a little bit tough to watch at times recently. But luckily, there's another basketball team at K-State. An objectively better basketball team. Oh, stay. Stay. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the women's basketball team. And the first game that we have to talk about was the day before both of us left for home. So this was the last thing that we saw before our Christmas breaks. And boy, oh boy, did the women's basketball team deliver a gift onto us. That was a victory against number 23-ranked Oregon, 68-56 to in favor of the Cats. And I don't think I can quite explain how big this victory and the next victory are for women's Catsketball. But before we go into everything outside of the game and what it means, Connor has you for stats. Yeah, this was a massive dub. For the KSU Cats, they went, of course, as you said, 68-56. to 56. They pull away a little bit late. Aoka Lee gets 19 points, 12 rebounds, 4 blocks, including one of those. Now, trademark, she just grabs the ball as you try to <laughs> shoot a layup. This is mine now. Yeah, she just takes the ball away from you. And there's nothing you can do. So, cry about it, I guess. Cry but, about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah she, she went 7 of 10 from the field. Uh, Emily Eber added 15, as did Briley Glenn. Uh, Serena Sundell added 7, as well as 8 assists to just 1 turnover. Another excellent game for Serena she Sundell. She never came off the court, did she? Uh, no, she played all 40 minutes, so she she was always there. She did. She was pretty inefficient from the field, 2 of 11. Wasn't her shooting day, but she made up for it with the assists. And uh, 
then Jalen Glenn did not actually score in this game, but she had six rebounds, and she also had a couple assists, although she did have five turnovers, not her best showing. Jada Moore added five points. Rebecca Dollinger added three. Laura Mackey and Taylor Lauterbach each had two. All around, really, 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 really big win for the KSU Cats. They shoot 42% from the field, 38% from three. It really helped that they were able to build an early lead because they shot really well from three in the first half. They went six of 11 in the first half from three-point range. They didn't make any threes in the fourth quarter, unfortunately. They also shot 80% from the free throw line, supposed to just 58% for Oregon. So that's statistically the game. I mean, I it can't be overstated how big of a victory this was, especially with 5,000 people in attendance. I, they had more people there than some of the men's games this year. Yeah. So, Yeah, and that that's the first thing that I want to mention. And there's one thing I want to mention that's not on the outline, but obviously this was a massive win. But the turnout was, we, we, it was like a month-long campaign. And I'm not saying it's us that caused this, because it's almost certainly not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, probably. We, it was amazing to see the crowd that Women's Cats Give Ball drew. And what's even better is that it, it, it was an active crowd. It wasn't just a group of people who were just kind of there it was a crowd that was invested in the game a crowd that was you know cheering the team along making noise whenever Oregon was on offense it was man it was without a doubt the best crowd that a women's basketball team at least a K-State women's basketball team has had since I've been here and I'm not even sure it's close yeah I would totally agree I've not seen a better crowd at a women's game since I've been here. I've really started going only in the last like couple years. I've made it to a few sparingly before now. Uh, I'd imagine this was probably the best crowd that they've had since UConn came to town. I believe that was before I was in school here. So, because I think that game might have sold out, honestly. But they, uh, the Cats, they put on a show in front of a very nice crowd. Jeff Mitty was awesome and bought 1,000 tickets so that way people could enter for free, which ended up making just under 20% of the audience. So, but big, big win for the Cats, ranked Oregon, uh, which since this game, Oregon, they beat some random team from Montana. Right now they're actually playing number two Stanford on the road. They're down by 11 and a half. So, putting up a fight against quality opponent. Yeah. And Yoki said, keep showing up to the games, as did Jeff Mitty. And uh, Yoki might just, I don't know, steal your lunch if you don't show up to the game. She can bully you. She... <laughs> yeah, I made no mistake. She she absolutely could, if she wanted, which I don't think she does. She seems she nice. does. She seems like a nice person. But yeah. the final thing that I want to mention is <laughs> Connor, I'm not sure if Connor agrees, but this is probably the highlight of my night it was they played sandstorm while i was wearing the t-shirt and the smile on my face <laughs> yeah they got you on the jumbotron and that was pretty cool i uh, that might have been the highlight of the night other than the victory was them playing sandstorm and you had to play sandstorm coward shirt on i mean it was perfect yeah we need to buy the flag yeah we really do gosh we keep forgetting to do that 
or maybe oh. we haven't forgotten to do that and we're just you know secretly you yeah we forgot to do that <laughs> <laughs> trying to be mysterious about it no 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 we just forgot no we just forgot we might be stupid but you know who's not stupid the women's basketball team because they went ahead and just decided you know what i'm not satisfied with beating number 23 in the nation why don't we go ahead and beat number 10 in the nation at bramlage and that's exactly what they did they ended up beating number 10 in the nation baylor perennial powerhouse in women's basketball baylor 68 to 59 and I will we'll go over the anger that incurred that this game incurred afterwards. But for right now, we got statistics. Yeah, um, this, of course, first of all, one of the biggest wins in program history for Kansas State women's basketball. They had not beaten Baylor since 2004, 36 straight wins, I believe, for Baylor. Uh, but Ayoka Lee said enough of that, and she put the team on her shoulders. She scored 32 points, including 19 in the third quarter, went 11-16 from the field, 10-13 from the free throw line, 10 rebounds. She got that double-double late in the game. Uh, two assists, four turnovers, two blocks, three steals. Serena Sundell added 10 and had six assists, six turnovers. And then Jalen Glenn had seven, Briley Glenn had four, Emily Eber had three, Everybody else down the line had three and two points. So it, it was the Aoka Lee show. Which I mean, it she, tends to be. <laughs> yeah, it generally is. But she really showed out against a very, very talented Baylor squad. Granted, a shorthanded Baylor squad, but they were primarily missing role players. They still had Nalissa Smith and Queen Egbo, some of their biggest players, Jordan Lewis as well. But Nalissa Smith, one of the best players in the entire country, held 12 points. And she did play all 40 minutes, to be fair. But regardless, we played the team put in front of us, and they could not shut down Aoka Lee, who only played uh, 27 minutes in this game and dropped 32 points. And She was averaging more than a point a minute. <laughs> she was. I mean, she was just taking this Baylor team behind the woodshed. I mean, there's no other way to put it. But... I, that needs to be on a t-shirt. Ioka Lee, cry about it. <laughs> yeah, like there was very little they could do. Um, if any complaints about K-State here, they did go cold from three after the first quarter where they went three of four. Then the second quarter and third quarter, they didn't make any threes. Fourth quarter, they went one of four to finish four of 13. So would have liked to see a little bit more efficiency there, but absolutely massive win. Gargantuan, you could say, against the <laughs> this Baylor team, uh, who up until this point was seen as the team to beat in the Big 12. Now that this has happened, all of a sudden their dominance seems to be in jeopardy. And... Well, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Because right now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's Iowa State and K-State at the top of the conference. So, Farmageddon to decide women's basketball. Yeah, that is that is huge. And we can actually talk about the part that makes me angry. Um, so, if you... I've had my doubts about people doing due diligence in the media about women's basketball on the whole before but this game just confirms that the people who 
are voting, at least in the AP poll, just don't watch the games. They just don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they don't even do research about the games, which I get you can't watch everything, but they're they're not even seemingly looking up very much about these games. So. Yeah, because K-State women's basketball beat number 23 and then number 10 back-to-back, and we got fewer votes than... Oh, who did we get fewer votes than? Um, teams it, worse than us. You know, yes, obviously, but uh, there's one team in particular that I'm thinking... It may be MU, because... MU knocked off South Carolina, but the rest of their season has not been going well. Well, I can tell you this, that K-State in the AP poll, they received 27 votes, which would have been fewer than Florida Gulf Coast, Colorado, and Mizzou, and three more than Ohio State. The coaches poll, they received far fewer votes, only four, which would have been fewer than Florida Gulf Coast, Colorado, Ohio State, Nebraska, UCF, and Mizzou, and tied with Gonzaga. So that, that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and then in all of that, Baylor dropped four spots from ten to fourteen in the AP poll, and in the coaches poll, they dropped three spots from ten to thirteen. So, like, we're obviously not uh, a horrible loss if they're only right. falling that far. But you know that all yeah. that doesn't matter as much. It's just genuinely frustrating because it just confirms that. People in the media, even the people voting on AP polls for women's basketball, just don't do their proper, their due diligence. It'd be different if K-State had more losses. Their only losses were to, at the time, number one and two in the nation. Yep. Those are still and, our only two losses. And net rankings, South Carolina and NC State are still number one and number two. Which, by the way, net rankings have K-State at 14. So Yeah, and uh, we're sixth seed in the tournament right now yeah yeah bracketology recent bracketology has the cats as a six seed in the women's tournament so clearly something is missing from the equation here so yeah and i i, I think it's just the voters paying attention which they they are not yeah support the women's cats football teams even if the media won't and then the final game that we will be covering in this entire recap segment is the game against Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. And this is the win that has us tied currently for first in the Big 12 with Iowa State, as Connor mentioned. But also, not to steal your thunder, this is one of two games that I've seen on the year where Ioka Lee has not been the leading scorer. Yeah, uh, it was by one point. But Bradley Glenn did lead the team in scoring and had some clutch buckets down the stretch. She had 19, Briley Glenn, that is, had 19 points, was 8 of 14 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. And to add to that, she had 3 assists and 1 rebound, 1 block. So, Briley Glenn, very, very nice game from the freshman. Again, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but the freshman, Briley Glenn, Jalen Glenn, and Serena Sundell have been absolutely sensational. And I, I'm very excited for the future, even though Aoka Lee will only have after this season one more year. The freshman will still have more time, so I'm very excited to see where the program goes. But other than Briley, Ayoka had 18 points, 8 of 11 from the field, made both of her free throws, had 6 rebounds, and then she had 2 steals, no blocks actually. However, Serena Sundell had 4 blocks. She had 5 points and 7 assists, but she did have 9 turnovers in this game. So she clearly was flustered with something. She had a freshman moment, 
I'm not too worried about it because yeah, Sundell has freshman moments. Sundell has been otherwise very good, other than uh, this Oklahoma State game, and you could argue the Baylor game as well because she had six turnovers in that game. But I'd imagine she will get it figured out because she had she's had some absolutely excellent games. Uh, she also added seven rebounds. Emily Eber had five. Jalen Glenn had three. Rebecca Dollinger, the JUCO transfer, had eight points and two steals to go with four rebounds. And other than that, Jada Moore had two points to wrap up the scoring for Kansas State. They actually shot 50% from three in this game. Six to 12 didn't attempt too many, but they picked their shots wisely, made a lot of them. Shot 51% from the field and then 80% from the free throw line. Not a ton of scoring in this game. Cats went by 11, 60 to 49. And it does take uh, the second half to really pull away from Oklahoma State because they kind of lingered around for a lot of the game. But K-State was eventually able to get ahead and win by double digits. Yeah. And that pretty much wraps up the weekly recap. But uh, one final thing to say is, uh, well, actually two final things to say. The women's basketball team also plays West Virginia in Morgantown on the 8th. I imagine they play after the men's do. so Yeah, after it's 6 p.m. Yeah, so support the women's basketball team on ESPN+. Plus. I assume the game is on. Yep. Which uh, I certainly want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I'll be watching. I'll be watching as well. And one final thing is, even if the media refuses to give women's basketball the respect they deserve, does not mean you as fans should not. Because honestly, right now, the women's basketball team might be the best team that we have at K-State. Regardless of sport, men's, women's, the recreational sports, the revenue, non-revenue sports, the women's basketball team is probably the best one that we have. And yeah. appreciate it while it's here. Yeah, there's a lot of great players on this team. They're going to host number 12, Iowa State, on Tuesday, January 11th. That's coming right up. That's just next week. It'll be 6.30 on ESPN+. Plus. It's in Bramlage in Manhattan. So try and get there. I won't be able to make it because I'm not in town. And I'm probably not going to drive like five hours to go see it. But it's on ESPN+. Plus. So it should be fairly accessible for a lot of the big K-State fans and people that actually listen to this show. But really big stretch of games coming up for K-State. They'll also have, at the tail end of this month, back-to-back games, number 23 OU and number 9 Texas. So it's going to be tough sledding for the women's team, but let's see how they do. And a lot, and it all starts this weekend with the road game against West Virginia. So the, this could be, this is the beginning of a special season. I will, I will say. Yeah. And just be there to support them as they try and keep it as special a season as possible. Yep. But okay, let's do it better. Yep. That pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to reach out to the show or contact us, we are Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to contact us on a more personal note, I am at acedward00. I am at Connor Bautasor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, we're always looking for sponsors. But if you want to get something in return, you can go to the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you have such designs as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards, if you ever want to, you know, get up on the Jumbotron whenever they play that magical song. 
But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.